I know we had just a long list of announcements just a few minutes ago, but um, please know I said that the water is back on. It will need to be shut off briefly again, and then it'll come back on again. So um, they continue to work on that, but grateful. It's good to have water. It's good to have water. Um, I also want to say, and again, this is just my, um, I'm a little lost this morning because of the changes that I neglected. So sorry, but I neglected to greet those of you who are our guests this morning. And it's your first time with us. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, it's our desire to care for you, even though you got forgotten. It is our desire to care for you, and we're grateful that you're here. If there's any way that we can do that, if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know. Um, Upon arriving at the building, little visitor's package, there's a card there. If you wouldn't mind filling that out, you can turn it in. There's a welcome basket back here by the door or over here at our information table. You can turn those in either of those two places. Thank you for being here. So good to have you. We are in the book. Oh, one more. I knew there was one more. Jeremiah and Abby, will you two please stand? So Jeremiah just became a new member. Abby already has been a member, and they recently moved back to the area. They used to be missionaries out at Teen Missions, and uh, happy to announce that they are with child. God bless you guys, and we will continue. That is an answer to prayer. Um, we will continue to be in prayer for you guys, and as you walk that out, it's awesome. So, Rick was supposed to be the scripture reader. <laughs> so, here we go. We are in, and we are in Isaiah, chapter three, through chapter four through six. So I told you, we're going to start picking up the pace. We're going to cover two chapters this morning. So will you stand, please, for the reading of God's word? Chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water. The mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader. And this heap of runes shall be under your rule. In that day, he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house, there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. For they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them. For they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with him. For what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants, are their oppressors. And women shall rule over them. O oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord of hosts? The Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty, And walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion. And the Lord will lay bare the secret parts. 
In that day, the Lord will take away the finery of their anklets, the headbands and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes and the amulets, the signet rings and the nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness and instead of a belt, a rope and instead of a well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle. And her gates shall lament and mourn empty. She shall sit on the ground. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. It's bad stuff. Verse two, in that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and the honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole side of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and a smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night for over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. Father God, we ask for your grace, your wisdom. We ask for your presence as we preach through this section of Holy Scripture. And we ask you, Lord, make it count. Make it count in our lives, Lord. Affect our very souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As you're seated... Married men, all the married men in the room, all right? If your wife is sitting next to you, I want you to gently kiss her on the cheek. In the article titled, 10 Disgusting Common Ingredients in Cosmetics, Beverly Jenkins writes, Reading labels on your cosmetics and lotions seem to require an advanced degree, so we've deciphered some of those ingredients for you. Ambergris is used in perfumes. It's a waxy, yellowy substance. comes from the intestines of the sperm whale. It's often called the gold of the sea. Problem is, Bob, you're shaking your head. You already know the answer. Problem is the gold of the sea must be extracted from whale poo or vomit, whichever of the two. And eventually, you spray it. And men, you probably just kissed it. <laughs> Most lipstick contains crushed cocknail beetles. These tiny insects feed on the, ca the cactus plant found in both Central and South America. Female cocknail beetles eat the red cactus berry and when the beetle is then crushed, it produces this very strong red dye that, uh, yeah, you know where this is going. It's found in your lipstick. Cocknail beetles. It's also, yeah, it's, it's organic. Yes, free range cocknail beetles. <laughs> lipstick, it's found in ice cream, candy, and uh, yogurt and eyeshadow. Starbucks went cocknail free in 2012 because it was offensive to their um, vegan fans. And pictures like the one behind me were making their way through social media. That's got cocknail dye in it. And uh, anyway, went cocknail free because obviously it was just a bad campaign for them. Um, even though that beetle can be found in a lot of places besides Starbucks. Mascara contains ground-up fish scales. Uh, tallow, tallow is common in, in many products, including makeup, lipstick, 
shampoos, shaving products, moisturizers, skincare products. Quote, tallow is made by rendering animal fat, which means boiling the carcasses to create fatty byproducts. The dead animals used to make tallow come from many different sources, including labs, slaughterhouses, zoos, shelters, and yes, roadkill. Somehow, some way, in just the ingeniousness of humanity, we've figured how to take roadkill and eventually, like, wear that and these different products. Lather it on your face for shaving or for mascara products. What's amazing about that, and we could just long list of different things that is really quite nasty, disgusting, ugly, is refined and it's made to be beautiful. I don't think anybody struggled to kiss their wife on the cheek just a few moments ago, though that's part of the products that we wear. And in our text today, we're going to see that God takes away what the people esteem as glorious. He takes that away from them to bring them to a place of true lasting glory. Or more simply put, God takes something very ugly and he makes something incredibly beautiful. Let's dive in. Point number one from from men to boys, verses one through seven is where we'll kick off. And verses one through seven is just this picture of a loss of stability, right? Verse, verse one, that he's taking away from Judah and Jerusalem. Support and supply, support of bread, support of water. This, this sovereignly happens to be a morning that we walk in the building and we have no water. And we're just kind of going, what are we going to do? No, they had no water. Their support and their supply was, was gone. And Isaiah is telling us in, these, in the following verses there why there's no support and supply. Why is the water and why is the bread gone? And the reason that he gives us is because there was a lack of leadership in Judah and Jerusalem. Or another way to put that, it's not that there was a lack of leadership, there was leadership, but the, the leaders who were assigned to lead the people of God to God were leading the people of God away from God. It's not as if there was no leadership, there was leadership, and they were leading people away from the presence of God. And so what, do, what the Lord does here is he strips away from Judah and Jerusalem, strips away leadership and that that stripping away of leadership becomes the stripping away of their supply rather than leaders leading people to God who is which is glorious think about this anytime we lead in any sort of way to to away from the Lord, we are leading to something of, less, of a lesser glory. And that's what they're doing. They're leading people to a lesser glory. And they're saying, this is what's glorious. They lead people away from God, away from his glory. And when leaders do that, they do that because so often they think, we think, we're the glory. They become glory thieves. Again, it's not that there were no leaders. There were leaders. It's just not leading to God. And so apparently they, found, they felt like they had found a greater glory. These idols from the surrounding nations became a greater glory than God himself. God humbled them and made their leadership to be the leadership of children and infants. That's what he's doing here. Please listen, church. When the hope of the church becomes the greatness of man, I don't mean, I don't mean male, I mean humanity. When, when, when the hope of the church becomes the greatness of great men or women, there will be no great men or women. 
You know what a great man or woman looks like? He, she doesn't look great. what greatness looks like because he she doesn't want glory because he she knows there's a greater glory and I'm not it a great man a great woman is is an individual who knows that he she serves a great God and thus it is this person's aim to lead in such a way that points away from self It actually empties self and points to that which is great, and that is God. It's Mark 10. It's the disciples that are walking with Jesus, and James and John have a sidebar conversation with Jesus apart from the other 10, and they're saying to Jesus, can can I sit on your right? Can I sit on your left? How about that? Why? Because there's greatness in that. When you set up your kingdom, can I be found right next to you? Because I like the idea of a me being exalted. They wanted greatness. They wanted to be exalted. So when Mark records that, he writes, and when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Now they're not indignant because they're like, wait, what? That glory belongs to Jesus alone. No, they're indignant because James and John are one-upping them. They're like, wait, what about our glory? We weren't part of this conversation. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers, considered great leaders, rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's leadership defined. Jesus is saying greatness is not leadership that dominates, that rules over, that, that, that brings in his, her authority into a situation, but It's leadership that empties himself and serves. It's not leadership that elevates self. It's leadership that lowers self. That's why John the Baptist would be saying to his disciples, his followers, like this guy's got game. He's a leader. And how, how does he lead? Unworthy to untie the man's sandals. That's who's coming after me. So in verse one, it begins with, for behold, the Lord of hosts. And we've, we've referenced this earlier in Isaiah. This is, this is basically Isaiah's way to say, heads up, buckle up. Here we go. All support and all supply, bread and water gone, total devastation. Literally, this is the Assyrians are marching on us. And they will attack our cities and completely destroy us and carry us off into exile. Verse 2, the mighty man, the soldier, judge, prophet, it goes on. I'm not going to reread those. It's a picture of all categories of leadership. It includes leadership of military, political, and religious leaders. These are the mighty leaders in Judah. But since their leadership is void of God, God will turn their leadership, their mighty leadership, into the leadership of boys and infants. They will become incompetent as leaders. Verse number five again. And the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. It's just a picture of social chaos as they're ruled by the incompetent leaders of Judah. The leaders will stick their chest out. They'll pretend to be great men of God, but they are but children in their leadership. Trinity, put your hope in God and not in man. 
this scenario in Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 6, for a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father saying, you have a cloak, you should be our leader. This is just basically, this, you know what this is? This is dress for success. You look like a leader. You got a cloak. You lead us. He comes back in verse seven. Don't pick me. I don't got a cloak. I don't got, no, this is just the passivity then of leadership. Isaiah is showing us the proverb of how pride goes before a fall. How the mighty have fallen. They have gone from being the people of God to the people who are distanced from God to a people who are destitute. And God is going to allow Jude and Jerusalem to completely crumble in devastation and annihilation. It's ugly. It's painful. There's no, there is no putting lipstick on this pig. It is disgusting what's going on and it gets worse. Verses eight through 15 gives us the reason for their destruction in these verses, verse eight begins with four, verse nine begins with four. You got a because in there and you got another four in, in the second half of verse nine. It's to say over and over again, here's why you're going through what you're going through. Verse eight, let's read a little more closely. For Jerusalem has stumbled, Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. Before his glory, they defy him. This persistence of defiance right before the Lord. It literally, you could literally translate this. It doesn't, the, the phrase doesn't translate well into our English. But my understanding of this phrase, this defying the Lord, how does it put it? Defying his glorious presence could literally be translated defying his glorious eyes. Now that doesn't translate real well. What does that mean? It means that before the very face of God, we defy you. Before your very glorious presence and before your eyes, we defy you. Can I say this morning that this, right? When we're preaching through Isaiah, it's so easy for us to think of some distant people, some distant problems, some, we can come to it like Pharisees. We can come to it self-righteously and we can think, what is wrong with them? What is wrong with them? What are they doing? Let me, let me, let me speak to us this morning. This is for all the leaders in the room. And I think I could actually make a case that every person in the room is a leader of some sort. So I want to preach it like that. I want to preach it broadly. I'm casting a wide net. I realize that. Because we're all leaders and we're all followers. Having different roles of our leadership. But as leaders, I want to call on you, Trinity. Get our eyes on God. Follow God and let that be the essence of your leadership. Trinity, put your hope in God and not in man. You see, they will, they will follow these leaders into the pit. The leaders and the people, we've said this in previous messages, but they're fine with a token God. They're fine with, yeah, of course, we love God. We believe in God. It's not as if they're not religiously devoted. Chapter one shows us how completely devoted they are to their religious activity. So we, we love God. We worship God. We continue with our sacrifices to God. We continue with our worship of God. And what they had was a token God. What they had was, let me just have enough God to make sure that I'm safe. Let's just worship these other idols of these other nations because they seem to be doing well. And let's keep a token of God as well with us. Forgiveness, check. Creator, check. Sovereign, 
Check. But Lord of my life, I defy you. And that was to their ruin. Hear me. The surrounding nations were not the problem. The problem isn't that the Assyrians are marching on us. The problem was inside the camp. And what we've been saying in this series is that the problem is inside the four walls of the church. The problem is with the people of God inside the camp. You see, church, the problem isn't that the government out there has taken prayer out of the schools. The problem is that in here, the church won't gather to pray. The problem isn't out there. Until we do business with that, we can talk about the problems out there until we're blue in the face. And we can defy him to his face. We can come to community group and we can talk about all the other peoples. We can talk about false religions and we can even talk about um, evangelical false teachings that are out there and never do business with what's in here. Verse nine tells us that, look at the end of verse nine. Woe to them for they have brought evil on themselves. Verse 10, tell the righteous that it shall be well with them for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. It's a moment of hope there. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them. You're gonna suffer because you're caught up in this people, but it's not gonna last. Verse 12, God further exposes their leaders. My people, infants, are their oppressors. Women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you and they have swallowed up the course of your past. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people? by grinding the face of the poor. Remember previous sermons related to that. So I say to you, church, in the truest sense of the word, revival. Like, what believer doesn't wanna see revival in our day? Or we could say, we wanna see revival in our church, but we want revival, broadly speaking. And I'm saying to you in this series that revival begins not out there, but in here. And even more so, I would say to us that revival begins with leadership. It begins when each of us takes our responsibility to lead. Lead with whatever it is that God's put before us. They, we comp com compartmentalize, <laughs> compartmentalize God we keep them at a distance. We know enough about grace to be dangerous. Know enough about forgiveness to be dangerous. We think stupid thoughts like, I don't want to be too radical as a Christian. As if any of us in here are on that knife's edge of being too radical for Christ. Right? Think about that statement. Or like we said last week, we've heard it said, you know, he's too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. That's not the concern here. And that's not the concern here. It's that we're too earthly minded to be of any heavenly good. That's our concern. They needed leadership. We need leaders to step forward and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Ray Ortland says, true revival awakens a new sense of our resp responsibility to one another, which is contrary to our selfishness and therefore a more revealing indicator of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask ourselves, what does leadership look like? What am I leading to? How does leadership sacrifice in the home, in the church, in the community? 
because we need that kind of leadership that's a blessing to the people. It's a blessing of supply rather than a drain of the resources. Well, surprise, surprise. Thus far in our text, things continue to get worse. Number three, shame dressed up like beauty. Crazy thing is that all the attempts to be beautiful was rather ugly. And it's ugly just because the, just, just like the previous section where the leadership is pointing people away from the glory of God and what they're in essence doing, they're pointing to their own human glory. They think they're the main event. The leaders do. And in this section, we'll see that the women are seeking to do all that they can to be beautiful. And I think what, if we could translate it into our day, what Isaiah is telling us is that it's rather ugly. Here he is describing the capture of God's people and their exile. And the overall theme in these verses is that the wealthy, the luxurious, the the beautiful women are seeking out, not the glory of God, they're seeking out their own glory. They want the attention and they will be reduced to beggars, chapter four, verse one, and they will seek to belong to, well, seven women will be calling out to one man because that's what happens in war. The ratio will get skewed. Now, the above section that we just preached about leadership sought to preach that in a way that's not just addressing the men. And I want to do the same in this section because we all lead and we all seek to enhance ourselves in such a way to attract people to our glory, seeking self-glory. And we do that in all sorts of ways. So I don't think of, We're to think of these verses, these are for the men, these are for the women. In both instances, their glory is bumping into what is truly glorious and their pride is bringing them before a fall and men and women both will be humbled and all the things they put their hope and trust in is being stripped away. Why is this happening? Verse 16, he tells us, the Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and then he goes into the different ways in which their pride and their arrogance is on display. That they lust for this stuff and they, 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 their glory is being presented to the people. And it's bringing them to a fall. Men and women will be humbled and the things that they put their hope in and trust in is being stripped away. Again, they had a token God, but they didn't want God. They just wanted what God could give them. And so verses 18 through 23 is just a list. We don't have the time to unpack those. Each of those has significance and has meaning. But we're just going to sum it up like this. They're just saying, look at me. Look at me. Leadership sought to point away from the glory of the Lord and here beauty and luxury and the wealth of stuff sought to point people away from the glory of the Lord as well. They're both seeking their own glory, arrogance in leadership and arrogance in external beauty. And they both flaunted it, which exposed the absolute ridiculousness of their hearts. Glory to me, look at me. I'm what's special here rather than look to the creator, look to God, look to the one who has delivered you. The glory of God, not the glory of her was to be in their eyes. They were to dress themselves. They were to adorn themselves for the occasion. Go back to me last week's sermon, verse 11 and verse 2. I mean, in chapter two, verse 11 and 17. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted 
in that day. That's verse 11. That's verse 17. It's repeated. Remember, we're in this section of scripture where it's talking about that day, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. And as the day of the Lord is being announced and as it's coming, in the craziness of man, look to me. Look away from God. Look to me. Look to my leadership and look to my beauty. And so in verse 24, you have literally, you have five insteads. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. And on it goes. Look at those later. Five insteads. God will so humble the self-indulgent proud, the one who seeks the glory that belongs to God alone. And then you've got this big summary in verses 26 and verse 1 where it just summarizes the complete, utter devastation. I referenced it already, but verse one, and seven women shall take hold of one man in that day saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. These women are destitute at this point. Who does this? God. Why is he doing this? Because in all their prosperity, they've distanced themselves from God. Because in all that prosperity, who needs God? We can take care of ourselves. And now in the face of persecution, Isaiah drops this hint that there will be a remnant of people who will repent and call out to God. A remnant of people who won't serve a token God, but will make him their true treasure. He will become their prize, what they value, and they will lose everything. Literally, we're talking, they will lose everything to then gain the wealth of God. So let's close with the greater glory. Verses two through six. Verse two begins, in that day. Again, that's the section of scripture that we're in. Speaking of in that day. As horrific as chapter three is, chapter four is beautiful. As terrible as chapter three is, chapter four is glorious. As awful as chapter three is, chapter four is awesome. Chapter three is deflating and takes the wind out of us. Chapter four is uplifting. As widespread and devastating as the one is one, the glory of this section is the other. Nothing is worse than what we just preached in chapter three. Nothing is better than what we preach in chapter four. God's purpose is now revealed. And his purpose is not to destroy a people. His purpose, even in the suffering, even in the circumstances, is to have a people. He could have crushed them. It would have been right for him to crush them. Verse two, in that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and the honor of the survivors of Israel. Leadership and beauty Previous sections that we've preached was used for their own glory, but there will be a branch of the Lord who is beautiful and glorious. And church, that, that reference there, and Isaiah will continue to reference that, that, that's a reference to there's a Messiah who's coming. And the Messiah will come through this remnant of people that God will protect and survive that he's referencing here, the survivors of Israel. Through the survivors of Israel, the branch of the Lord will come. Or we could say it like this, you're here today. 
worshiping God, serving God, seeking to live your life for God because God determined he would have a people among the people who were saying, I defy you to your face. There will be survivors. There will be a remnant preserved by God. The branch of the Lord will come and he is beautiful, it says, shall be beautiful and glorious. The branch of the Lord references the fruit of the land. Both of those references of Jesus, the Messiah, is being prophesied of here. He will come and he is that branch and he is that fruitfulness. And the survivors, surprise, verse three, as ugly as the previous section, as glorious as the next section. Here's the surprise, verse three. He who is left in Zion, the survivors, and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for the life in Jerusalem. Wait, 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 wait. They are anything but holy. The glorious moment isn't that there's some people in the camp that recognize, well, out of all of this recklessness, out of all this glory thievery that's going on, we're, we're holy people. Oh, recognize it's through the branch of the Lord that the survivors are made holy, called holy. It's, it's Peter saying, quoting Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. Speaking of the Lord, the, the Lord says, be holy as, as I'm holy. Ha! How are we doing? Through the branch of the Lord, you and I are made holy. Declared holy. But wait a minute. Has God not seen my life this week? Has he missed all of the unholiness that I'm aware of? Even that I'm not aware of? Yeah, he's seen it all. And he views that through sacrifice. The branch of the Lord will come. And you will be made holy. We will be branches that will come out of that branch. We will be connected in, in Christ in such a way that his holiness becomes ours. Through his work on the cross, that's why Peter can say, be holy as I am holy. The Lord, verse four, it gets crazier. In the midst of the ugliness, it gets more and more glorious. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. Did you read, did you hear how he referenced the daughters of Zion in the previous, previous section? He will wash away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. He is saying a savior will come and there will be a day when verses, verses like 3.1 or 3.18 will no longer be spoken. There will be a day when all of that will be taken away. And for us as believers on the other side of the cross, as new covenant Christians, as we look back to the cross, we are the redeemed who have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we stand, not a token forgiveness, not a let me just abuse your grace. We stand forgiven in Christ Jesus. His righteousness becomes ours. Amen. Verse five, then the Lord will create. The Lord will create over the whole side of Mount Zion and over her whole assemblies. This is what the Lord does. He doesn't just rebuild. He doesn't just kind of fix things, right? You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's why we speak of new birth. You have been made new in Christ the beauty in which he creates is incomparable to the beauty of the women. 
the leadership in which he leads is incomparable. This branch of the Lord will lead to the glory of the Father. He will lead us there. He will not fail us. Chapter 52, 53, 55 is coming in Isaiah. Some of you know those references. Jesus will replace the false leadership and the false beauty with what is truly leadership and beautiful. Verse five and six, it recalls us. Then the Lord will create over the whole side of Mount Zion and over the assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and shining of a flaming fire by night for over the whole glory. There will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. What is he talking about? Well, if you were in Isaiah's day, you knew exactly what he was talking about because you're a church kid and you grew up on this stuff and you heard about Exodus chapter 40 where the Lord guided his people through a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke. And it represented the presence of God. They're church kids. They know this stuff. They grew up on this stuff. This is their heritage that they've denied. But now, his glory will not be like the glory of Exodus 40. He says that the glory that is coming through the branch of the Lord, it will cover the whole site of Mount Zion and her assemblies. God's saying to them that there will be a day when his glorious presence will cover over the whole church, over all the gatherings of all the redeemed. And he does this with this reference to this canopy. Did you catch that in verse five? Where is that? At the end of verse five, for over all the glory, there will be a canopy. God had led the people in the wilderness by this pillar of fire, by this cloud of smoke. But there will be, there will be, he did that in the wilderness. There will be no wilderness. There will be a canopy and many will believe, many do believe that this is a reference to a, in their day, what was a wedding canopy. Well, isn't that Interesting. There will be a day, and on that day, there will be a wedding. There will be a wedding canopy. He is not simply coming with his presence to walk us through the wilderness. There will be a day where there will be a wedding feast, and there will be a wedding canopy. And we're not going to be walking through the, the wilderness as he guides us and leads us. But no, he will lead us, and the beauty of his glory will be on such display. We will stand before him face to face. It represents an intimacy as he references this canopy, this safety. While these individuals in chapter three are without any safety and they're out without this leadership and this leadership of children and the women are just all about this display of their own glory. He's saying, I will undo all of that. There will be a remnant of people and through the remnant of people, there will be the branch of the Lord will come and through the branch of the Lord that will come, what I'm saying to you is you're here. And there will be a future day where we're not walking through the wilderness, but his presence will be seen. And there will be that wedding canopy. And we will be sheltered. And we will be protected from all distress. You see, on the cross, church, Christ took all the ugliness of my sin. He took it all of your sin. And he redeemed us. You are beautiful in him. Even as the Christian continues to struggle and wrestle and fight to grow in godliness. And there's this, still this ugliness that we see in us. We're nonetheless seen by the father through Christ and you have been made beautiful. His sacrifice, his perfection, his glory. That's the lasting, that's the true glory on display. God takes what is ugly and he makes it beautiful through his son, the branch of the Lord. The cross was horrifically ugly. Nothing, I will say nothing in all humanity is more ugly than the cross of Christ. On the cross, 
he hung unjustifiably. The only one who could say of himself, I'm innocent of all charges. As he hung on that cruel cross, the crown of thorns was pressed into his brow. A sign was hung to mock him. King of the Jews hung over his head. He was whipped and lashed just short of his dying breath. And then he took on your sins, my sins, humanity's sins. He bore them and the father turned his face away from the son. Nothing is more ugly in all of humanity than the cross of Christ. Nothing is more beautiful in all of humanity than the cross of Christ. Human history has never seen anything as ugly as that cross. And human history has never seen anything as beautiful as that cross. He made you clean. He has washed you clean. You, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have repented of your sins and you are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You have been made clean, washed with the blood of Christ. The Father doesn't simply accept you. He doesn't simply endure you. He adopts you. You're to be one of his. You're a child of God. So as ugly, chapter three is, and tried to preach it true, it's ugly. And as ugly as one chapter of your life is, that chapter after repentance and faith is beautiful and it's glorious and it's worship, and it's God, I wanna give you my life. And God, you've made me a leader in some sort, fashion, all of us are. We might be leading on a Sunday morning, we might be leading at the coffee shop, we might be leading in the children's ministry. Oh God, you've given me, given me this responsibility to teach to the children. God, help me to steward it well. I wanna lead them to your glory. I want you to be on display. I want you to be seen. Help me to, to not lead people to myself because it's just not about us. The greater glory is our Savior, our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me? Lord, I want to thank you and praise you. You have taken some ugly things in this room, some ugly people, and you, and you alone. Lord, we try to dress ourselves up. We try to dress ourselves up with a little, with a little moral mascara. We try to hide some of the ugliness with our own self-righteous efforts. And this, this text this morning is saying to us, none of that, none of that. You alone will be glorified on that day because you alone are fully responsible for making what is ugly beautiful in you. So to you alone, we praise your name. Let's sing together.